Welcome to another Sustainable Wine podcast with me, Toby Webb. And joining me in this podcast are a number of speakers from a plenary discussion we held about wine industry leadership on climate change. We held the session on Zoom on November 26, 2020. It was sponsored as part of our conference on the future of wine by British Standards Institution, Chateau Leube, Contra Itoro, DM and Control Union. Thank you to all of them for their support. And in this session, you'll hear from Adrian Bridge, CEO of Taylor's Port and the Fladgate Fladgate Partnership and also the Porto Protocol, Miguel Torres, fourth generation and president of Familia Torres, Joanna Griffiths, Global Food Community Director from BSI. You'll hear a wide-ranging discussion moderated by me, uh, Toby Webb, about climate leadership. So I hope you enjoy it and please check back to Sustainable Wine for further podcasts. Here's what we're going to do. We, um, When we first put on this conference, um, it was supposed to be a face-to-face event and then COVID came along. And then we went online and then we really wanted to have um, a younger female leader in the wine industry to, to speak at the conference. And um, one obvious candidate is, is Katie Jackson from Jackson Family Wines. Um, but we, we made two key errors there. One, uh, the, the morning sessions were far too early for her. She would have been up at two in the morning. And secondly, we chose Thanksgiving. Um, so not ideal. So we asked Katie if she would do a little video for us because we wanted her to just express her support for this conference and the work you're all doing um, and to try and inspire us a bit. Um, we were going to show the video this morning, but we had some bandwidth problems. Uh, and actually, it seems to fit quite well, I think, to show it now as we lead into a discussion about climate change. So, Hannah, if we can make the technology work, let's try and show the, the, the very short video of, of Katie Jackson just talking to us about their work and her views, and then we shall uh, move into our discussion. Hi, I'm Katie Jackson. I'm sorry I can't be there live with you all today, but it's Thanksgiving, America's national holiday in which we celebrate our escape from Great Britain. I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, I'm so inspired you all are coming together today to discuss these urgent issues. Sustainability is critical. We live on a planet with finite resources and we all must bear responsibility to protect them for future generations. We are also seeing that our industry is increasingly vulnerable to climate change. Here along the western coast of the United States, we've just come out of one of the most challenging harvests in our history. Late season heat spikes were coupled with massive wildfires across California and Oregon and have devastated some of our most celebrated wine regions. Climate change has never felt more personal or urgent. At Jackson Family Wines, we also see business opportunity in investing in renewable and regenerative solutions, both for ourselves and for our partners. These solutions will help make us more efficient, robust, and resilient. To that end, we're moving toward a 10-year resiliency plan designed to create future agility across our internal and supply chain operations by focusing on greenhouse gas emissions reductions, water security, regenerative farming, and holistic land use practices. We believe that together we can make a difference. That's why we co-founded International Wineries for Climate Action with the Torres family. IWCA is united in its mission for all members to become climate positive by 2050, which is in line with the most recent guidance coming out of COP26. It evaluates and creates best practices and standardization around measuring and reducing greenhouse gas inventories and deploying solutions at industry scale. We encourage like-minded wineries to join our efforts. This has been an unforgiving year, leaving us to ask how much more we all can tolerate. We owe it to our children, the natural world, and the future of our industry to take action now. Together, we can do better. If you are serious about climate action and the wine industry's role in addressing climate change, please join us. Well, thank you to Katie and her colleagues at Jackson Family for putting that together for us. Um, it's uh, better, than, uh, better than not being here at all. We do appreciate that. And of course, it's a nice segue into talking to Miguel uh, before he has to go on the half hour. And I'll try and bring in Adrian and Joanna into that as well. Probably talk a bit more with Miguel first because he has to has to leave on the half hour. So, uh, Miguel, welcome. Uh, I shall ask 
um, each of you just to say who you are briefly before we start. So, uh, Miguel, why don't we start with you? Uh, give us your life story in 30 seconds or less, please. Well, I am uh, Miguel Torres, uh, fourth generation of the family, Torres family. I am president today of the, of the company. And uh, my children, Mireya and Michael, they are both today managing the company, right? And uh, well, since I saw Al Gore movie, uh, I think I was uh, in 2008, I was shocked. And we decided that we had to do something. Thank you. We'll come back to that for sure. Uh, Joe, introductions. Uh, so I'm Joe from BSI, and uh, my background is uh, is packaging. I uh, have a particular passion for packaging for my <laughs> for my faults. Um, I have uh, worked in packaging and standards uh, for at least the last ten years, probably a little bit longer. Um, and I'm I'm really very passionate about um, wine. Uh, so this is a great uh, great way to engage in in the sustainable supply chain topic. I think is to is to sort of think about. Um, how we can take something with such a prestige and, and, and make it authentic. Thanks, Jay. Adrian? So I'm Adrian Bridge. I uh, run a group called the Flaggate Partnership. Probably the best known brand is Taylor's Port, which is our original company. So we've been a family business now for 328 years. Uh, we've been very actively involved in, in this particular issue, but decided a few years ago uh, to found something called the Porto Protocol with the objective of trying to get uh, share solutions rather than simply continue to talk about the problems. Um, thank you. Thanks very much. Um, well, well, we'll come back to to both Adrian and Joe in a minute. Let me talk to with Miguel first. And if you have questions for Miguel, please do put them in the chat function. Um, Miguel, uh, thanks for joining us. You mentioned that Al Gore in 2008 had a big impact on you. Um, right. What did you do after that? Just talk us through the process to get to where you've got to on, on climate leadership. Well, the first idea, you know, was that uh, we know that vines are very sensitive to heat. Every vine in the world, every Vitis vinifera, needs a certain amount of heat, you know, to mature the grapes. And all the knowledge we know in viticulture is that if there is too much heat, the quality changes uh, totally. If there is not enough heat, then, you know, there is not enough ripening. So that's why uh, climate change is affecting so much the vineyards, as we, and we are seeing, as we are seeing, and also we see the meteorological consequences, you know, with more frost, more hail, more, uh, you know, uh, floats and all these problems. We know that um, the problem is there to stay because greenhouse gases, especially carbon dioxide, is up there in the troposphere, the lower part of the atmosphere where we live, and is to stay there for at least 200 years which is terrible. It means even if, you know, next year in five years we, we cut emissions or we reach a maximum of emissions or we, we stop them, still for at least one or 200 years, these uh, greenhouse gases uh, will stay there. So, well, we, we decided at Torres that there were three scopes we could, we could focus immediately. First one was to adapt. Of course, there is very little we can do against climate change. We'll talk about it. But um, we had to adapt, and that it means here in Catalonia, looking for higher lands. Fortunately, we have the Pyrenees Mountains, not far away from where we are. And uh, we bought land at 1,000 meters of altitude, even 1,200 meters. And today, a lot of these vineyards are already planted and produce very good wines. You know that even, now, even uh, today, you know, we use them sometimes to balance the acidity with the other grapes from the Central Valley where there is not, because the heat has made this acidity, you know, uh, lower. So adapt, first of all, in Catalonia, but also in Chile. In Chile, we went down, down to uh, maybe 200 kilometers south of Curico, Itata Valley, where we managed to buy a large estate with uh, a, a large river nearby, which is very important in the future because in Chile, it's going to be more and more difficult to irrigate in the summertime because of the glaciers, of Andes glaciers, uh, every year they try to be smaller and smaller. And even uh, we went a bit more south in Chile, we went to Patagonia, but that, I'll tell you in a word, Patagonia is not for the vines. Right, second, mitigate. So once, you know, you have done what you think you can do about adapting, thank you, thank you. Next one is to mitigate. Mitigating means last year we have reduced already our emissions by 30%. Of course, with renewable energies, 
biomass, planting trees, and so forth, uh, electric cars. And, and then um, we, we have invested in this period of time more than 16 million of euros. Every year, 10% or 11% of the profit from the last year is invested in this, uh, you know, sustainability department that I manage personally. So we have invested a lot and uh, we plan to be in uh, 2030, have a 55% reduction on the emissions and uh, by 2050 be climate positive. That's also the target we have with uh, Jackson and with wineries that already have joined IWCA, International Wineries for Climate Action. By the way, since uh, yesterday, we are already 11 companies, two full members, Jackson and us, and uh, nine applicants. Uh, companies, I could mention Simington because we were here the other day, which are uh, not still following our protocol, but you know, in two or three years they will. So they are applicants and they can consider not members, not full members, but already, you know, part of our IWCA organization. And third, finally, third scope was to influence. You know, we thought that we had to try to influence. We did this in Spain, not very successfully, but well, at least there are two more Spanish wineries in this group, IWCA, and we want to influence more wine people. So thank you, Toby, for giving us this opportunity maybe to, you know, have more uh, companies coming to this group. And um, maybe, you know, if the wine does a good job, other industries will follow. But we need desperately, you know, to reduce emissions, desperately. And it's not for, you know, next decade, it's for tomorrow. We have to take this very, very seriously. Right. Uh, in order to achieve that, also, you know, other points, very important points is planting trees. We bought land in Patagonia, south part of Chile, a little more than 2,000 kilometers from Antarctic. So it's a very cold area. And there we have already we started to plant trees, uh, Pinus ponderosa. We, uh, we plan in, in the last, next four or five years to have at least 2,000 hectares planted. Could be also a little bit of native uh, Chilean trees. So Patagonia for planting uh, trees. Second, cover crop, we think is very important uh, as Jackson uh, is doing that uh, we study and we try to extract or to absorb the maximum of carbon into the soil. Actually, there is more, uh, more, twice more carbon in the soil, or we could gather twice more as it is in the troposphere. So there is a big potential. We are we're just starting an, an, a study with Barcelona University uh, in order to determine in one year time, maybe two years, uh, what can be done, you know, what kind of cover crop are more ideals and, and, and what we can do. And finally, you know, CCR, all these techniques, carbon capture and reutilization. We've experimented in the last 10 years, many of them. Actually, this year, we start to reutilize the carbon we produce at the carbon dioxide at the fermentation. To, we gather this, this, this gas and will be reused, it will be reused after the harvest to have a blanket, you know, a neutral gas above the wine. Amazingly enough, you know, until now, we bought this carbon dioxide uh, outside. So now we're going to produce our own carbon dioxide that could be used immediately after the harvest. But also, Metanation is a very, uh, a very good project. We, we try already two years transforming carbon dioxide in methane. And this methane can be used you know, for a lifter, a car, whatever. So, of course, you need a lot of uh, electricity. You need photovoltaic panels, PVs, in order to produce this Metanation. But it's a possibility. Um, so, altogether, you know, what we, we need is to reduce emissions. Sometimes I have friends that are very, very keen on organic viticulture and others. We have organic vineyards, 800 hectares in Catalonia, maybe 200 in Chile. And we, we, we like organic vineyards. We, we, we like the concept. But unfortunately, I think it was mentioned before this afternoon that when uh, spraying, you know, all this bouillie bordelaise or sulfur to combine mildew or powdery mildew, your tractor has to be every week, you know, on the, on the, on the spot. And it does produce a lot of, you know, uh, emissions, carbon emissions, which is, you know, compared to, uh, you know, the classic viticulture, that is much more, and it's a bit. Secondly, is the copper. Copper is toxic for the soils. And it's true that, you know, Brussels and the European, European Union keeps reducing this copper every year, but still now 
four kilos per hectare a year is too much because it's toxic. So we have we need a, a new product uh, that can also maybe organic, but to replace we need to replace copper. Another aspect that we are considering and is we are working here in Europe is uh, reutilization of the bottles, not recycling but reutilization. But then you know we are asking Brussels desperately to legislate for us, for all European wine producers, uh, the shape and the, and the terms for a, a Bordelais, a Burgundy bottle, a Rhin bottle, so that this bottle in few years can be the same all over Europe, and the bottles we ship you know tomorrow to Germany could be reutilized afterwards by some German producers, just to give you an example. So that's going to, not, not going to be easy. We've done tests in a small scale and it works. So it could be done maybe. Well, and then finally, um, maybe you ask why we have made this IWCA, International Wide Aids for Climate Action. First, because I think we need to avoid confusion in the future. There is too many um, ideas, you know, going on. Uh, some companies are carbon neutral and they say, uh, well, then we have to buy the rights for our, from our emissions to somebody else. And they say, well, okay, why the rights for this forest to be planted in India? Who is going to control that? We don't know. Here at IWCA, this is forbidden. We say, if you plant trees, it has to be in your own land. You cannot um, sort of export these to other places. Second, you, you need to have all the scope, the three scopes, scope one, two, and three. So from the vineyard down to the logistic, you know, exporting the wines or whatever, everything has to be included because some companies today, they talk about carbon emissions, but they only take scope one and two. This, this I mean, shouldn't be. I mean, this uh, what we, we try to uh, explain. Um, and finally, you know, we have uh, a company, an audit company, Lloyd's, working for all of us, the 11 members that we are today. And we use uh, ISO uh, 1464, 14,064 which is very strict and, you know, we can have strict control. And we build with Jackson along at least one year, a protocol, a protocol, which is quite complex, quite uh, complete, but explain all the details of uh, IWCA members have to do. And I think uh, that's basically what I, I wanted to say. I mean, uh, please, uh, all the wine people, we should make an effort because our industries are going to be the most affected by this crisis climate crisis and uh, it's no time anymore for you know discussions and whatever we need we need action urgently thank you miguel um so a, an obvious question i suppose is that um leadership is about taking people with you and sustainability is a pre-competitive issue i think we all agree so how do you see your role in helping smaller wineries and vineyards and and, and you know smaller players in the in the wine industry to move forward with you? Well, we had experiences already, you know, a small, I remember two cases, small wineries. The last one is a Chilean wine that is uh, going to join us uh, very soon. And uh, we helped them, you know, with the, with the numbers, with, with the study of the protocol. Uh, our audit company, Yoits, have a special price, you know, for these small companies. So we try to make it easy for them to, to join us. And uh, of course, there is not, there is not an immediate we cannot guarantee they're going to increase themselves. This is not the case. I hope it will. I hope in the future, Scandinavian monopolies, Canadian monopolies, large chains like Tesco in UK, um, you know, in, in Germany, I spoke to some, some of them already on video conference. They see the interest of the consumers, you know, for these kind of ideas, reducing emissions. And hopefully, you know, if there is more, uh, I don't know, exposure, of our group of other efforts, you know, reducing emissions, this will help. This will help in the future that other wineries will also come along. Thank you. Um, another question for you before I, I put some from the audience. Sustainability is not just about climate change. Like we appreciate that climate change is the big scary problem that we must do something about now, but there are lots of other issues within sustainability as we've been discussing. I wondered what your thoughts are on you know, whether or not your work might might broaden uh, to, to include other issues. And I know, of course, you manage those issues in your individual, you know, your assets and your vineyards. But I just wonder what your views are on climate versus the broader sustainability spectrum. Well, yeah, you're right. Sustainability uh, spectrum is a bit more complex. 
but many of these aspects are consequence of climate change. Look at Spain. I mean, Spain is now the last uh, weeks getting a lot of emigration from Africa, young people from Morocco because of the economic situation of their country and because of the COVID. You know, they, they cross the Atlantic to the Canary Islands and many of them die on the way and they reach Canary Islands, you know, and they are not allowed then to move to, uh, to main Europe, to, main, to, to Spain, uh, to the peninsula, or they are not allowed also to go, of course, anywhere in Europe. This is a problem also of, of climate change because these many areas of Africa, Africa will be affected by the heat, agriculture will be also uh, affected, and we will see more and more immigration. This one consequence, you know, of climate change altogether. Thank you. Uh, well, yes, the point has often been made that Africa's population is set to double in the next 20 years, I think. And, you know, if they don't have opportunities, they'll go looking for them, or at least some will. So I appreciate, you know, it's linked with migration and other issues. Um, let's talk about your people. Uh, we have a good question here about uh, how do you get your people uh, educated and signed up for this? And uh, what impact has that had? So let's talk about a practical uh, set of steps, really. You know, it's all very well for the boss to say this, but actually mm -hmm. the work gets done by, you know, middle management and people in the field. So how do you communicate that and make sure that they are managing to that agenda? Of course, you have to persuade, first of all, the general manager, you know, uh, on the idea, and my son is persuaded, and my daughter. And second, of course, you have to, my manager in the, in the, in the company, Mr. in my department of uh, sustainability, Mr. Rivas, He's uh, <clears throat> uh, addressing to all the departments of the company. And uh, we see, you know, every year that, uh, you know, groups of the company, uh, departments, they make progress. They reduce emissions. And then we create awards, Torres and Earth Award, that is given to uh, part of our people. But also, and this is very important, I, I recommend this to do, uh, we give the award also to suppliers. Uh, every year there is at least two or three Torres Awards to suppliers. Uh, vineyard owners, glass manufacturers, logistic companies, and they do, they, they make an effort and they really re help, us, help us to reduce emissions. So in the company still this big effort and uh, I remember uh, two weeks ago I asked my son how many electric cars do we have in the company? And he said, well, maybe we have 12 or 14. I said, it's not enough. We need every rep in the tourist company to drive an electric car. There is no excuse to drive uh, a classic car, even hybrids. They have to have uh, electric cars. So still there is big effort to, to be made on this, in this sense. Thank you. Um, let, let me talk to you about consumers because um, scope three carbon emissions is not, or GHG emissions is not just about transport. It's also about, you know, retailers getting your product, consumers getting them, and then the bottle recycling issues you talked about before. Um, how how do you see your communication with consumers evolving around climate change and sustainability? Well, it's not been easy. Actually, you know, I had myself to argue a lot with the marketing department in the company, you know, because I, I thought this could help uh, at least the image of our brand. But, um, of course, you, you know, I cannot guarantee and nobody can guarantee today that because you have a back label explaining what you are doing and, that, you know, the emission reduction, you are going to increase the sales. I think it's not the case yet. But it will, uh, I think at this stage, big buyers are already being uh, influenced by this idea. I mentioned Tesco before, Ahol in, in Holland, um, Kefir in, in Germany. I could mention others that I had video conference and they are, they are interested, they ask questions, you know. What, what is uh, IWCA, what are you doing and so forth. So if the big buyers are interested, they do that because they hear from consumers that they are also, you know, keen on this emission reduction. So um, I think it's the right time to move ahead and explain to our consumers what we are doing. It's costing us money. We don't expect immediate results, but um, well, you know, the more we will be in the group, the more we will be uh, making efforts, you know, the more progress we will be making. Thank you. We had we had two hours of conversation this morning um, with some you know really fascinating uh, folks from the industry about standards and certification. Um, you know, and as we know, there are five hundred eco labels in the world, and we're still in big trouble. 
Um, and so I think there's a concern about proliferation of eco labels and conversation about standardization in terms of at least in principles rather than, you know, a checkbox tick list. And I wondered what you thought about that uh, and what your experience tells you is the right way to go on, on standards. Well, that's why, you know, we, with, uh, with Jackson, we, we took a long time before we created our protocol. Now, with this protocol, you know, any company approaching us, approaching the group, IWCA, can see the job to be done. They can realize it's not anymore, you know, uh, opinions or uh, uh, ideas. It's very serious and it's audited by Yoch by and it's ISO uh, uh, 14064. It can be done. Uh, I'm not saying that you know other uh, other projects can also be used, but in my opinion, honestly, today this is the most serious um, idea in order to control emissions, in order to help wine companies to uh, to adapt and to uh, to join uh, you know this effort. Thank you. Um, so climate change is quite scary for for people generally, and people who have smaller wine businesses might not know where to start. And they might look at your work and think, well, it's okay for Miguel and Jackson family um, to do this because they've got the money. But what, what can I do? Um, they, can, they can have arguments about organic, which confuses them even more maybe when they hear you say organic can have a higher GHC footprint. So what's, what's your advice to, to you know, smaller wine businesses about getting started on tackling climate change in a way that isn't too frightening or daunting? Fine. I mean, let's let's. Uh, I'll advise them to 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 read. Uh, I mean, to go to our web IWCA, and uh, we have divided uh, with Jackson at this stage uh, questions coming from uh, North America, Australia, you know, and South Africa. They take care. Those coming from, uh, of course, Europe and South America, we take care. So we can answer all the questions. So I would say, please do not hesitate. First go and, and, and see the web and second uh, ask questions we, we love to uh, answer you every question you have thank you and when you think about your expansion of your business um are you a um, question here from jonathan rodwell which i will perhaps uh, amplify a bit are you are you looking at climate change and great growing areas on the basis of are you looking at expansion on the basis of climate change and saying okay we're probably not going to invest over here because it's going to be too hot in, in 20 years' time. Is that, that must be a big factor in your, your planning, is it? Well, you know, we have to adapt, as I said before. Uh, there are two possibilities, of course. First is looking for higher altitude. Every 100 meters of altitude, you get more or less one degree less of average daily temperature at the ripening <coughs> time in the summer. So that's what we are doing. Second, there are, there are viticultural practices that we, have, we are applying already. You know, like we don't remove anymore the vassal leaves um, in front of the grapes that traditionally, you know, by, for centuries have been removed. And uh, we keep experimenting, you know, with many things like uh, uh, how, how, how high has to be the first uh, trunk. Um, our canopy, you know, the canopy, the, the leaves exposed to the sunlight, we, we see that if we reduce that from 120 down to 90 centimeters, we delay uh, ripening. The key word today is that everyone should be experimenting and see what can be done in order to delay ripening. Because the worst is that you have the harvest in the middle of the summer, then you have no quality, it's impossible. So, and, and then finally, you know, we are considering also like many others, changing of Betis vinifera, right? So don't be surprised if in the future, I mean, appellations of origins have to change. I mean, uh, maybe today we grow Tempranillo, Maybe in 20 years' time, we'll be growing uh, Monastery, a grape that comes from Alicante, eh? more uh, in the middle, central part of Spain, and so forth. We will have to adapt. A final question for you. Um, next year, 2021, is a big year for sustainability and climate change. Um, you know, we, we seem to have had the right presidential outcome in the US, which is good for sustainability. Are you, are you optimistic uh, about next year and, and in general? And all, my second part of that question is, well, how do you see your role and the role of larger companies in influencing the public policy debate on, on climate change? Well, we try to do our best, you know, I am meeting next month, the Spanish Minister of Agriculture. Uh, I was the president of the Spanish Federation for uh, 
three and a half years now, you know, there's somebody else coming, but we try to influence and uh, as soon as it is possible, you know, we will go to Brussels uh, to press them, you know, on establishing more help and uh, establishing more, uh, uh, well, making it easier for the companies to, to reduce emissions. So, but I am optimistic, especially now after the US change of presidency, I think uh, we are going to, the Western world, we are going to unite and we're going to, to make a big effort, which is already in, taking place. In Spain, I know that at this time already, 50% of the electricity is produced with renewable energy. Carbon is not used anymore, or very, very little. So there, is, there are changes happening, you know, and it's possible, and it's possible. So, and of course, you know, uh, photovoltaic energy is fantastic. I mean, the amount of, you know, uh, energy you can produce with photovoltaic panels. Uh, we are even thinking, uh, I hope before, uh, I don't know, two or three years, we can produce hydrogen in the wineries, you know, hydrogen using photovoltaic panels eh? because it takes a lot of electricity and then using hydrogen, you know, for, for, uh, uh, for um, lifters, for uh, our trucks, many things. So it's going to be a big change. I am a little bit optimistic. Excellent. Well, um, thank you uh, for inspiring us with some uh, practical stories and being optimistic, optimism being so important. I appreciate you have to get to your appointment and I don't want to delay you. Um, so we'll let you go, Miguel. Thank you so much uh, for your insights. Uh, I will turn to Adrian Bridge now. Um, Adrian, thank you, um, thank you Miguel. I much appreciate you coming. Um, let me turn to you now, uh, Adrian. Um, cautious optimism is something that uh, Obama is talking about when it comes to the climate change and politics. And of course, uh, I believe you had <laughs> Obama at your first conference when he launched the Porto Protocol. Um, are, are you a cautious optimist as well about climate change, Adrian? Look, I think the, 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 the issue of climate change is, is something um, that's coming up daily um, on the news channels. Um, and, you know, the point is that the, our customers care. So like any business, we should be listening to our customers. They care. And the point is, as a wine industry, we can actually do something about it. Um, most industries can do something about it. Obviously, we have to look after what, 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 what we can do as, as, uh, as an industry. I think as an agricultural industry, I think there is a lot that we can do um, uh, to make a big difference. So um, I'm optimistic that people are shifting um, away from just talking about the problem to starting to talk about the solution. I'm optimistic that the um, weight of, of pressure to get something done um, is increasing. Uh, but I'm also very conscious of the fact that a lot of people don't know where to start. Um, and a lot of people are expecting a government um, or, or major companies to produce the, uh, the solution. A lot of people hoping for a, a silver bullet. And I suspect, you know, there isn't really a silver bullet in respect of climate change, simply because every single one of us individually, you know, is part of the problem. Um, but equally, every single one of us um, is part of the solution. And if we look at the, you know, the title of this talk, which is about leadership, you know, I think it's anything that we can do to make every individual realize that they can contribute to the solution, I think is extremely positive. Thank you. Well, I mean, you've you've put a lot of your personal time, capital, um, into this, and I'm quite curious to know where did that come from? Did you have a a, a road to Damascus moment, Adrian, um, or was it a slow realization over time that actually things had to change? I remember the conversation we had uh, back in February where you talked us through Agatha and I. You talked us through the Douro Valley and how unsustainable agricultural practices have led to serious resilience challenges. So I'm just wondering if you can give us a sense of your personal journey of how you got to starting the Porto Protocol, which is playing such an important role in, um, in spreading knowledge about sustainability practices. I mean, the, 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 the point is that we as a business have been doing quite a lot. And we've been sharing that with our farmer suppliers um, very successfully. Uh, but there comes a moment then you think, you know, it's not just about uh, our little area of the world, you know, because I think there's lots of wine companies across the planet who are doing a lot. So, you know, is there some way that we can share what we're doing? Is there some way that we can learn from what other people are doing? So in a sense, um, you know, we have uh, our own backyard and what we do. Uh, we probably 
like many companies, you know, we've done some of the easier things. Um, and in order to uh, perhaps move on from that and look at uh, bigger solutions, we've got to learn from other people as to what is working. Because I think, you know, Miguel was talking there about the sort of urgency of action. Um, to a large extent, that means that there isn't really a lot of time to to sort of reinvent the wheel um, if we can learn from what other people are doing. And, and I'm completely convinced that lots of people are doing a, a great deal. They, some of them may not even realize how much they're already making a difference. Uh, and if they can share those solutions um, and then we can draw on, on that uh, combined knowledge, then I think we can get uh, a much stronger outcome. You know, I fully respect that many people's individual solutions are perhaps local. So, you know, one has to adapt ideas. But it seems to me that if we can um, get uh, get the best of what we as an industry have, and indeed outside our industry, again, you know, there's sometimes we get the sort of silo thinking. I mean, after all, we're making wine out of out of grapes that are grown on a vine. But there's a table grape industry. There's a raisin industry. There's other products that are made from um, from the vines, which uh, are who are dealing with the same issues, and perhaps there's stuff we can learn from them. So it's really this uh, this sense of we're willing to share what we're doing. We're trying to encourage other people to share, and I think it becomes a sense of trying to create a virtuous circle. I started talking on mute then. Um, what's your view on the standards certification debate we're having earlier? I know you haven't caught all of it, but I know you're probably familiar with um, you know, the plethora of, of different um, certifications and, and some different standards out there. Do you think there needs to be more consolidation? And I suppose a danger of that might be you know, that cuts down on local innovation a bit if it's not done right. Yeah, look, I, th I think I think you know, we can spend a lot of time uh, talking about trying to get to perfection. Um, and we're talking about a pretty large issue. I mean, we, you know, we sometimes just get boiled down to sort of carbon emissions or carbon capture. And then we're going to walk, uh, talk in a moment about what, you know, Joe's area when we're talking about packaging. But, you know, alternative energy has been mentioned, water management, soil management, biodiversity, uh, social aspects, which were covered by Sue Daniels this morning. Indeed, uh, Miguel just talked about that in respect of um uh, immigration and, and, and movement of, of um, populations. You know, the reality is, is that rather our view would be rather than uh, perhaps just talking about certification, doing all these things, it's really to start doing something. And, and I would urge everyone listening to sort of go and try and do the easy things, do the things that, you know, you know you can do and you can do successfully. And, and in a sense, you know, sitting and waiting for the right certification um, to come along to me, to a certain degree, becomes an excuse for inaction. Uh, it's a little bit like um, you know, if you go along to a CEO and say, I'd like you to reduce your carbon footprint 20%. I would argue, in, in whatever industry, I would argue a, a good CEO is probably going to say, well, that's, that sounds like a very good idea. Uh, my first action is I'm going to go and talk to my team and ask them, how can we reduce our carbon um, footprint by 20%? And only once we've kind of mapped out the way we can do it, will I go back and actually to si sign up for it. And yet, you know, simply by taking some very easy steps, you could probably reduce your you know, carbon emissions tomorrow. So, so what I think I, I'm trying to say is certification is great. And I think we'll get there. That's true. But, but I don't think we need to put any roadblocks in the way to action. Thank you. Um, before I turn to Joe to talk about packaging, because it's such a huge part of climate change. Um, one more question for you, Adrian, and then uh, viewers, please do put your questions in the chat function for Adrian. We can come back to them. Um, I, I had a, I had a, a question about um, uh, about where you see the Porto Protocol going next, because you know you've had these high-profile conferences. I think you had Obama at the first one and Al Gore at, at the second. Um, how do you see the Porto Protocol? developing over the next five years or so uh, to try and meet that objective of, of sharing better practice? Well, so, so obviously big conferences um, create a point of focus, um, but you know, the very nature of them is that they can't happen that frequently. Um, and as we've all learned in the last six to seven months, that there are other ways to do it. And Toby, you, you, you're showing the, the leadership um, through your conferences and, and being able to gather people from all corners of the world's uh, today and tomorrow to, to deal with the subject. So there are different approaches. 
you know, we felt that probably the the right approach is what we've been doing, which we call climate talks, um, which tend to uh, deal with the subject um, once, twice a month. And we will continue to do those and to continue to try to get engagement from uh, what participating wineries across the world. But at the moment, the Porter Protocol has got about 203 wineries who are uh, actively um, involved and sharing. I think to make it more useful, uh, what we're looking to do next year is try to produce some reports that bring together um, best practices around um, a sim single subject matter. Because obviously, you know, there's a huge uh, database of information there that people can go and look at um, and they can see, you know, real life solutions and, 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 and learn from those. But I think if we can somehow aggregate that into a specific topic area, um, so take, for example, water management, um, you know, there are many solutions offered around the world. Uh, and for a lot of these, um, you know, and if we produce a report on that nature, I think it'll, it'll serve uh, to stimulate action. And that's really the, the, the point. And, and, you know, what we often come across is, is this whole idea with climate change is you've got to be big. You've got to be, you know, a big company. You've got to have big budgets. You, it's all expensive. It's difficult to do. And, and our arguments, it's not. I mean, you know, it's no different to, um, you know, if you look at your bills that you pay every month, and kind of figure out how you can reduce those, um, you know, an electricity bill. How can I reduce electricity? Well, I can just switch off the lights that I'm uh, not using. And, and that is going to have a climatic uh, benefit as well as actually a, an immediate benefit to one's bottom line. So one doesn't have to be big um, to be in, involved in this. And I think also, you know, the, the key point I would go to is to do the easy things first, because there are simple things that, that can be done. Um, you know, again, I take a, and a good example in water management and, you know, now it, you know, a hose that, that, that doesn't have a, a, um, a sort of pistol grip or some sort of dead man stop at the end, which means that when the hose is unattended, water is not being wasted. You know, that's not an expensive solution, but it immediately makes an impact on, on water. Water costs money. Uh, water costs the environment. Water is going to be possibly what you know, future generations will fight over. So, um, you know, there are some things that are easy to do. And, you know, our take on this is that we need to keep encouraging people to do that. The more momentum you gather, get, the more people sharing, the more everyone realizes they can get, to, um, they can make uh, a contribution. I think this is really comes down to the key point. So what's going to happen over the coming years, we're going to continue to um, try to get people to share what they're doing. Uh, and then, the more they share, the more solutions we get, hopefully, uh, the more momentum that is created. And we'll continue to, to uh, produce, whether it be uh, web chats, whether it be uh, written material or published material, um, or whether it be conferences, but ways to disseminate the information uh, to explain to people that it is possible to do things and to make a difference. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to come back to you in a few minutes, Adrian, with some questions from the audience. And I'll ask you to, to close the conference for well, the first day uh, with your thoughts on uh, whether how optimistic you are about climate change and, and also next year. But hold that for a minute. Uh, let's give Adrian some time to ponder that and turn to, to Joe. Um, it's really interesting when you look at where GHGs lie in the uh, in, in the sort of wine spectrum. I've seen stats of, you know, only up to 25% of GHGs can come from vineyards. It does depend on where you are, and I know that. But there's a huge amount of GHGs in packaging. Mm. So I'm really curious to learn, what have you learned in your packaging experience that could help the wine industry reduce their carbon footprint with a smarter approach? I think with um, packaging, there's two different aspects. You've got the greenhouse gases inherent in the, in the packaging material, so glass, um, as, as people are probably aware, is a hugely energy intensive process to, to make glass. The temperatures are up to about 1500 degrees C in the furnace. Um, and it's, it's great, you know, it's perfectly recyclable, it's an inert material, it's a fantastic packaging material. But as someone said this morning, you wouldn't today put wine in a 750 milliliter bottle uh, made of glass with a, a metal cap, because again, the metal cap is, um, or, or, or cork even, uh, with, a, with a capsule. You wouldn't, you wouldn't use that pack format. Um, and the infrastructure, I suppose, around those materials helps to mitigate some of those some of those uh, factors around uh, energy use in their in their actual manufacture. But the second uh, really important aspect is is the pack format and its relative efficiency in the supply chain, uh, especially when you're shipping, um, you know, these these 
gorgeous wines from Australia, New Zealand, uh, South America, over to the UK and Europe and, and so on. Um, I often use an example of canned tomatoes. So but most people have already got a can of tomatoes in their, in their store cupboard at home. And uh, those tomatoes are also available in a, in a brick format, in a tetra pack, a tetra pack, a multi-layer laminate format. Well, that format's actually 110% more efficient in the supply chain. So immediately by switching the, the pack format, you halve the greenhouse gas emissions potentially um, associated with the transport of that, of that relatively banal sort of store cupboard ingredient. Now, you've then got, of course, the, um, the, the, the young infrastructure, if you like, of, of recycling facilities for those multi-layer laminates. So that's an inherent problem. But I also think, you know, we, we talked this morning or, or maybe it was earlier this afternoon about uh, the impact that COVID's had on a lot of uh, B2B that's become B2C. Um, and I think is, is there then an imperative amongst some of the uh, more innovative um, or, or perhaps more youthful producers to play around with pack formats at this point in time and, and say, well, actually, if it's not the bottle that's selling the wine, if it's the story of the wine, then play around with a pack format. Let's 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 use uh, a multi-layer laminate. Let's use a postable um, bottle format. Um, so you take into consideration as well the logistics um, of of the the B to C. Then you know those missed deliveries um, will be reduced if if things can be you know posted through letterboxes and so on. If you, if you if you have a little play around with those things, um, of course, all this doesn't sort of have any uh, consideration for the communities that will be affected by you know changing um, pack formats or you know adjusting what materials are used and I think you know the, there's evidently a huge appetite amongst the community uh, attending today that um, there's uh, you know an appetite for collaboration amongst everybody to assess a more holistic approach to understanding you know how how do we address packaging as a specific topic but not um, detrimentally affect the communities that, that rely on the industries. Thank you, Joe. So there's clearly a lot to learn uh, from other areas. Um, I mean, if you look into your crystal ball and you think about regulations which are coming down the track, if, if countries are going to tighten up on implementing their national allocation plans for carbon emissions or GHG emissions under the original Paris Agreement, mm. which we assume is going to happen now, if you look at Boris, I mean, even Boris Johnson's gone green, you know, not sure he understands it, but he's gone green. And now we've got a, a sane person in the White House uh, and the EU is, is, uh, is set, you know, to ever increase regulations. You look into your crystal ball, maybe that um, 750 mil bottle, which apparently was based on the capacity of a 17th century French glass blower's lungs. <laughs> Someone once told me that's where the... There's a story to it, isn't there? <laughs> um, uh, you know, so you look at all those factors, uh, wh where do you see the sort of regulatory side heading? Um, it certainly looks like, you know, these, these high-impact packaging formats for GHGs are, are going to come under serious pressure. Yeah, I, I worry about sort of the regulatory aspect, I suppose, because with... with with legislation, um, you know, it's a, a, a relatively uh, inflexible apparatus. You know, it's not got the agility that perhaps a, a, an industry-driven, uh, consensus-driven standard can can uh, approach. And I think it's it can be a very single um, focus way to attack a topic, and, and, and the consensus can be, you know, forced to do it rather than wanting to do it, and it can perhaps squash the innovation that I think is is being demonstrated by a lot of the producers and, 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 and business owners here today. Um, I, I really do think that you know that there's been a lot of talk about standards and certification and schemes and, and whether that's a good thing or not um, but I, I think um, really to establish those sustainable supply chains you know let's not allow um, you know, perfect to be the enemy of the good, which I think Adrian was, was hinting at earlier. And, and actually, we recognise the aggregation of marginal gains within the industry um, to, you know, to demonstrate that, that steps have been made. And what industry involvement in, in standards can do is legitimise what the industry is doing. And of course, there's appetite here as well to learn from the other industries and share what you're doing with the other industries, um, particularly where you've got, you know, an agricultural approach to, to, the, to, the, to, the, uh, to the start of the process, if you like, and, and a 
and a huge um, value that's based on the ter terroir. I'm not French, so I can't pronounce that word, I'm afraid. Um, that, that perhaps Miguel had hinted that as well. There's, 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 there's this protection, if you like, I, I suppose, of, 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 of our industry. So let's, um, let's, let's, let's demonstrate that, that collaboration through community at this point in time and try and head off at the past the, 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 the danger that legislation can bring. So another big player in setting acceptable uh, packaging requirements is super supermarkets, and obviously mm. time talking to them. My my amateurist assessment is they haven't quite got round to wine yet, because <laughs> they're dealing with so many other issues. That yeah, you're that's going to be hit definitely. Um, yeah, but they will. Um, what do you think is going to happen when they do? Because the easiest win for a big retailer is going to be to say, "Well, heavy glass, gotta go." Discuss. Yeah, I, I think there's already, I mean, I think the co-op has already uh, instigated those standards that I think they've been in place for a good five, six years. And I, I don't know if the other retailers have done that. Um, and, and for their sort of cheapest wines, they've got a, a standard, I think it's 400 grams, which is slightly above what the, the minimum uh, uh, looks like. Um, but then for their premium, more expensive wines, they they allow that heavier bottle. So it's it, to know actual effect but it's it's the consumer perception when you've got the bottle in your hand in the supermarket um and i yeah i, I do wonder you know there's these big heavy hitters like soy and beef and things that have, have really got the attention of, of of industry and of consumers as, as being really big carbon uh, uh emitters big greenhouse emitters um and, and a concern um but i think what it does as well is is force is is, is kind of go well okay You've got those big heavy hitters. What's next? When when are retailers going to address this? So I think there's it's encouraging the industry. It's demonstrating that, that there's an appetite to look at this, um, and I think it does um, encourage other formats. So you bag in boxes, you perhaps pop uh, PET bottles that needn't look like you know the lower end water bottles. They they can be a premium appearing PET bottle. Um, if you do it right, you know, the, I think in, in across uh, much of um, South Africa and Kenya, I've seen returnable beer bottles that are PET. They look like glass, They, you know, but they go around the system seven or eight times like your old uh, milk bottles. Um, so, I mean, perhaps it's a challenge then to the retailers to say, when when will you look at, um, at, at, at this particular topic? You know, it's so glass reliant. Um, you know, we know the, 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 the inherent DHDs. So at what point will things um, will change um, and the thing about pack formats and, and the materials used and I've just seen the comment there about the circular economy is that um, I, I think there was a mention earlier about a sort of almost a deposit return system for, 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 for wine bottles but of course a deposit return system requires a heavier weight bottle so there's lots of contradictions or contraindications depending on which system you hang your hat on and, and, and want to want to get behind um, uh, the, the you know the, the there was a huge move oh gosh I think it started about 12 15 years ago in the UK the Coltel commitment which um, required everyone to start lightweighting bottles um, you know not just in wine but across across the board using this this term of lightweighting that got then um, you know converted into right weighting because there was a recognition that at some point you know the packaging starts to fail and, and creates waste in the supply chain and, and damage and, and, and loss in the supply chain um, so it's um, it's really about um, uh, no, there's no silver bullet, you know, as, as Adrian recognised earlier, there's no silver bullet about um, things like you know pack format. So it's it's really um, collaboration that's going to going to work things out. I think for people. Thank you. Uh, the glass industry or parts of it launched a sustainability hallmark i think they called it earlier this week i was on the webinar on tuesday about it and you look at their numbers you look at their presentations and glass is the most sustainable material out there and of course the answer is always it depends doesn't it on the, yeah. on the around it it's no no one no one uh, no one format um so we're, we're running out of time uh, we're going to have more discussion on packaging tomorrow uh, we're going to hear from tesco tomorrow as well um but please uh please bear in mind anna Tuell who's speaking is not a wine expert she's an environment expert so um you may not know all the details of uh, of every 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 aspect of the wine business but she certainly knows about retailers environmental targets which will be very very interesting um so um let me turn back to to you adrian before we get pulled into the rabbit hole of packaging i can see in the comments <laughs> so I think we asked <laughs> <a few minutes. laughs> 
Um, Adrian, let me let me turn back to you perhaps for, for a few closing comments. We only have a few minutes left. Um, are you optimistic, Adrian, about climate change more generally? And, and what are your thoughts on where we could get to by the end of next year? Well, firstly, um, I'm, I'm optimistic. I mean, if you look at the definition of um, optimism, you know, it's about a, a state of mind that, that one hopes for a sort of more positive outcome or, or a more favorable outcome uh, or a more desirable outcome in the future. And I think that, um, you know, we have just been through and, and still in many parts of the world are going through an extraordinarily um, unpredictable uh, experiment which for most people demonstrated during the summer or, or or wherever in wherever their summer was in the world that people were seeing cleaner air less pollution less of the impact of humankind and I think most people felt that what they saw they liked and so you know where I think the point about that is that the uh, climate deniers are probably uh, lost the argument in 2020. Um, the degree to which uh, we'll make a, a, a major change in 2021 comes down to, I think, a couple of key points. Firstly, around the world, governments are looking at relaunching their economies in more sustainable ways. So the green initiative is being used and driven by governments. That's important because we, you know, this is a session about leadership. And, and when governments and, and, and therefore presumably uh, local governments, local uh, mayors and, and councils and so on, pick up these um, issues and run with them, I, I think people will start to listen. I think it creates a platform for a lot more open discussion and a lot more creativity. And I think that is something that we're going to see a lot of in, in 2021. But I think that the key um, benefit that we'll probably be uh, seeing next year is uh, the realization right down to an individual level that every single person can, in fact, uh, contribute. So those people who've been locked up at home and have seen that, that you know, they're not commuting as much, they're getting perhaps um, a better uh, quality of life as a result of the changes that they've taken place are not immediately going to go back to their old way of doing things. And that process of thinking about what we used to do and thinking about what we could do and having the time that we've had in 2020 to consider it, I think puts us in an incredibly strong position for uh, real change to take place in 2021. Now, you've asked me what's going to be the outcome by the end of the year. I simply don't know that. And, and clearly, you know, we heard uh, Miguel today talking about purely on carbon, it'll take hundreds of years, perhaps, to take things out of the atmosphere. But in today, in your conference, there's been a number of different subject areas covered. Many of them uh, varied, whether it be from packaging, sustainability issues, whether it be from uh, labor abuses, whether it be from a wide variety of things that impact us. I think my point would be that, that every single one of us, um, either individually or in responsibility for a company, has probably got a team of, uh, around us or we have friends and family, all of whom are wondering what they can do to make a change. They want to make a change. They want to contribute. And I think that the most uh, easy way to make sure that in 2021, this time next year, a change has taken place is to create the empowerment of every individual that they can do something. The topics that you have discussed show there are a range of ways that people contrib can contribute. I would suggest that it is impossible to make a step in the short period of time on every single one of these topics. So I would encourage everybody um, who's listened to pick one, um, go run with it, get good buy-in, empower your, your staff, your friends, your families um, to really start to make a difference on that one topic. And, and if we've got 7 billion people in the world all starting to make a small bit of difference, that's going to quickly add up to a lot. And that will put us in a much better place at the end of 2021. Adrian, thank you. Uh, sage advice and a great perspective to end the conference with. 
thank you all for your contributions today. It's been a, a long day of complex discussions, but I think uh, I hope you'll agree with me in, in agreeing it's been a, a, a very rich uh, day with an awful lot to think about during this evening. So I shall leave you all to do that. And we will see you all back here tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. UK time to talk about what the wine industry can learn about sustainability from other industries. And I can see there's a fantastic discussion on packaging going on in the chat function. We can continue that tomorrow. We have a packaging session um, and I look forward to more stimulating debate tomorrow. Uh, Miguel, thank you for showing up, even though you, you had to depart. Adrian, thank you. And Joe, thank you for your contributions. And we will see you all tomorrow. And I hope you can all go off and enjoy a nice glass of wine. Thank you.